We continue our series regarding Moses, and the passage today will be Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. Exodus 17, verses 8 through 16. If you don't have your Bible with you today, you can follow along on the screen. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to to generation. In verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. The New International Version says it very clearly, Amalek came and attacked the Israelites. If you'll hold your hand here and turn to the right in your Bible, you'll come to Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. And it tells us about this attack. Deuteronomy was written by Moses just before he died, and he's rehearsing the history of the Israelites. Verse 17, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, And he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, then you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So we find out that the attack was unprovoked. And it was against the weak and defenseless members of the Israelites. The older folks, women and children, who could not keep up with the general crowd, who were kind of back and vulnerable, those were the ones that were attacked. Let's go back to Exodus 17, verse 8. Who is this Amalek? Well, if we turn to Genesis 36, verses 15 and 16, we'll discover that Amalek comes from, or he is the son of Eliphaz, who is the son of Esau. So Amalek is 
a grandson of Esau. Now this is 400 plus years after Esau died, so it's obviously not that son, it's his descendants. And Amalek is a term referring to the Amalekites, those who are born from Amalek. Now just to help you understand in history, we'll start with Abraham. Abraham had a son, his name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, <clears throat> they were twins. One was named Esau, one was named Jacob. Esau is the grandfather of Amalek. Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel. He gave birth to 12 sons. Those are known as the children of Israel or the Israelites or the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you back this whole scene up just over 400 years, you discover that they're all related to each other. And Amalek came against their own relations. And they attacked in a ruthless, unprovoked way. Now, Amalek means warlike. Well, well named. Warlike. And we'll see how that plays out in a minute. Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. This is the first mention in the Bible of a man named Joshua. Joshua will ultimately become the leader of the people after Moses dies. Joshua's name means Jehovah saves or Yahweh saves. In the Septuagint, which is the English version of the Old Testament, he is simply translated Jesus, which means Savior. Moses would be on the top of the hill with the rod of God. That's the rod that had turned into a serpent, and then when Moses grabbed it again, turned back into the rod. It's the rod that Moses held up, and the plagues came. It's the rod that Moses held up, and the plagues stopped. It's the rod that Moses was at the Red Sea, held it up, and the Red Sea parted. And it's the rod that Moses has in his hand. Moses says, I'll go up on the top of the hill. But Joshua, you take some men and go fight Amalek down in the valley. Now, what would they use for weapons? Scholars pretty much agree that the weapons that the Israelites would have would have been from the Egyptian soldiers who drowned in the Red Sea and washed up on shore. They would grab their weaponry, and that's what they had. So they went out to fight. Let's go to verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now we have the introduction of two more individuals into the story. Hur is the son of Caleb from the tribe of Judah. Now Caleb will become a hero in the narrative of Moses here as we go down uh, through his experience. And Aaron is Moses' brother from the tribe of Levi. So you have Aaron and you have Hur and you have Moses up on the hill and down in the valley you have Joshua with selected men who are fighting Amalek. 
verse 11. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, the NIV says hands, and that's the proper translation. Moses wasn't standing there holding the rod with one hand. He had both hands up, and just virtually every scholar you will read will say pretty much what that means is Moses was praying. That this was the posture of prayer back in the Bible times. You would stand with your hands uplifted toward heaven. So Moses has the rod of God in his hand, which is the symbol of the presence of God in their lives, and he is praying. And it says that he got tired, verse 12. Oh, excuse me, before we go there, Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed, but when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. So when his hands are up, when he's praying, you see Israel advancing upon the Amalekites. When his hands come down, the Amalekites are advancing on the Israelites. We come to verse 12. It says, but Moses' hands became heavy. That means tired. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. That word steady that is there in our English, I looked at it in the Hebrew, and it's very interesting. It could be translated faithful. His hands were faithful. I found that to be a fascinating idea. So here's this Moses. He's tired, so they bring a stone for him to sit on. So he sits down. He's holding his hands up, which is the posture of prayer. And on either side of him, you have her and you have Aaron. And there, they probably have the rod across their shoulders. And really, to be honest with you, it's likely Moses is holding on <laughs> and, and just, just holding on to the rod of God in this posture of prayer. And as long as he prays, they prevail. When he stops praying, the enemy prevails. Now, this is where it gets interesting, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, this is an odd thing. First of all, for your information, this is the very first mention in the Bible of writing. And God tells Moses, I want you to write this in the book. I want people to read this. But then he goes on to say that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, why would he put it in a book and then say I'm going to wipe out the remembrance of this guy? We're reading about it now. And this was 1,400 years before Christ. So nearly 3,000 years have taken place. I guess it is 3,000 years have taken place. And we're reading about the guy. Interesting. It will make sense in a moment. And it will make a powerful point. Look at verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, victory. And that's where we come up with songs like, His banner over me is love. He does protect us. And many scholars think that that's referring to that rod as being the banner. 
Verse 16, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Wow, this Amalek, quite a character, quite a group of people, a warlike tribe that attacks Israel unprovoked. And they're going to have this struggle from generation to generation to generation. On and on the struggle will be. You know, we read that God would destroy them ultimately. And one thing we can conclude when we read the scriptures is God is never in a hurry. Never in a hurry. It would be some 600 years later before the Amalekites were wiped out. But the remembrance of them is still strong. That hasn't happened yet. That is yet future. And we will understand that in just a few moments. The question is, why write this down? What is so important about this story that God wanted future generations to hear it and to understand? Well, let's think about it. To this point in the experience of the Israelites, God has done everything. All they had to do was cooperate. Let's look at it. The plagues. Who did the plagues? God. The Passover. The angel passed over the land and uh, every firstborn child was slain from the houses that did not have the blood applied on the lintel and the side posts of the doors. What did the Israelites do with that? They cooperated. They put the blood out. They did that. But the action itself was God's. The Red Sea. It parted. Who parted the Red Sea? Obviously it was God. What did the Israelites do? They walked across. They cooperated. But it was God's work. Then they came to bitter water. And God said, throw in a tree, Moses. And the water became sweet. What did the Israelites do? They did nothing. All this was done for them. At the most, they cooperated. So their deliverance from Egypt was all God's work. Now, they are journeying to the promised land. They're not there yet. And suddenly, we're going to see a gradual change. It's going to shift from all of God's work to a cooperation between God and mankind. Watch the, well, think of this. Then they received the manna. Who sent the manna? God. What did the Israelites do? They had to gather it. They had to gather it at a certain time in the day. If they didn't, they didn't have any. And they had to gather twice as much on the sixth day or they didn't have any for the seventh day. They now have gone from cooperating to actively participating. What if they had just done nothing and God's pouring down the manna every day, six days a week at least, what if they had done nothing? What would have happened? They would have starved to death. They had something they had to do. Now remember, their deliverance, their salvation was all of God. But from that point, getting to the promised land, they 
had a role to play. They had to participate with God. Now, this story in this battle that they fight with Amalek is the story and the battle of every believer. And we find God's prescribed way for victory in the battles of life. The Passover and coming out of Egypt in the salvation plan is a portrayal or a symbol of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and that is the Passover and that is the deliverance from Egypt for all who accept him. Egypt is the bondage of sin in which we're born in. The Red Sea that they came through is the believer's baptism when they're baptized. And the sweet water of the Holy, or the sweet water is the, is the Holy Spirit that is poured out upon the believer who's been redeemed, who's been baptized, and now they receive the Holy Spirit in their life. But then comes the battle. Now, just to let you know that it was not the singular experience of them, but the experience of all of us, it is also the experience of our Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Jesus himself followed the same journey. You see, the attack of the warlike Amalekites is the devil trying to discourage and defeat the believer. It is the wilderness experience where the devil will do everything he can to cause us to be defeated. And if you're defeated over and over and over again, his plan is to get you to give up, to stop your journey from here to heaven, to walk away from God even, and to say, maybe it works for others, but it doesn't work for me. And so we must learn the victorious methodology that God has given us. In Matthew chapter 2, we find that Jesus was in Egypt. Verse 13, after the visit of the wise men, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. So Jesus lived in Egypt. And look at the last verse here of the passage, verse 15 and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus came out of Egypt. The Israelites came out of Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt. All of us who accept Christ come out of Egypt. We have the same journey. Now, go to chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Jesus came out of Egypt. Jesus is baptized. Now go to verse 16. Then Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. The Israelites come out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea, and then they have the water, the sweet water, of the Holy Spirit experience. Jesus comes out of Egypt. 
Jesus is baptized and Jesus has the Holy Spirit poured out upon him. Then what happens? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Where are the Israelites? They're in the wilderness. Where are we? We're in the wilderness. See, we accept Christ as our Savior. That's all his work. And we're baptized and he cleanses us. That's his work. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. That's His work. We're saved in Christ. But we're not in heaven. And there's a battle that we must fight. A battle against discouragement. A battle against sin. Because let me tell you something. Anybody who is saved in Christ does not want to continue in sin. They want to find victory in their life. And the devil wants to attack them at their weakest points. And he wants to frustrate them and defeat them for the singular purpose of getting us to quit. Bail out. Stop believing in God for salvation and just simply give up. Now let's go back to Exodus 17. Exodus 17, the story we're reading is our story. Verse 8, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. This is a fight that was not instigated. They were attacked. And it is real. It is real. There is a warlike enemy that attacks all of us. And it is real. Verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. The battle would be undertaken in a two-pronged approach. Joshua with the sword. Moses with prayer. And let me ask you, which of those was the most important? Most of us would conclude the prayer. But what would have happened to Israel if Moses had been up there praying and there was nobody holding a sword? They would have been defeated. The prayer and the sword go together. There is a role we play. There are choices we make. There is a character that is being developed in all of us. And, and that character is a result of the choices we make. We must battle. What must we battle? Well, do you want to know what the list is? And by the way, lest any of you want to come up here and argue with me, I will tell you right now, I got this list straight from the Bible. Here's what we have to battle. Sexual morality. Impurity. Idolatry. Rebellion. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Drunkenness. Intemperance. Bad habits. Joshua is in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. 
Moses is praying, asking for God to help. And the battle is all of ours because Amalek is inside of us. Amalek represents that nature that we are born with, our sinful nature, the nature that is against God. It wars against God. It wars against God's authority. It wars against those types of wholesome things. When you become converted, you are given a new spirit, a spirit in Christ. You are given a new nature, but the old nature is still there. And that warlike Amalekite, or Amalekite Amalek, I should say, within us is constantly fighting against the spirit. And that's what the Bible calls the flesh versus the spirit. That's the conflict. We have accepted Christ. We're saved. It doesn't mean inside our hearts we're holy like we wish we could be. It means for the first time in our life we now have a real battle on our hands. Because before Christ comes into us, who cares about sexual morality? At least, who cares about fighting against it? And on and on and on the list goes. So in our hearts, we have these things, and they're constantly getting at us when we're weak, when we're tired, when we least expect it. Pow! There it is. And it's real and it's powerful and its singular purpose is to have us be defeated, get discouraged, and give up on God. That's it. Now this is why the Bible says, little children, I wish that you wouldn't sin, but if you do, Confess your sin and God will forgive it. And so the Christian experience is a continual confession of sin with God and a continual pleading with God for victory over these things that keep coming. Have you ever wondered why things keep coming? Well, they're not dead inside of us and they won't be dead. In fact, God says... I will remove the memory of Amalek from heaven. That means that's coming. When Jesus comes and he redeems us from this earth, Amalek, the sinful nature, is gone. And we no longer have to deal with it. It will be removed. And the memory of it from heaven. But until now, from generation to generation to generation, we will fight it. But here's the good news. God tells us how to win the victory. He said the battle is twofold. Number one, you know, that is prayer. Pray. Do you know what number two is? The sword. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. All the way in the New Testament here, Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us what the sword is, what we battle with. Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Two-pronged approach is prayer 
and the Word of God. Reading the Word of God and praying to God about what we've read. That's how we defeat the sinful nature. That's how we defeat the devil in our lives. Well, let me ask you a question. If you were the devil and your plan was to defeat someone, how would you do it? I'll tell you, it'd be so easy. It's like my grandchildren say, easy peasy. Easy peasy. All he's got to do is every time you sit down to read the Bible, get you distracted. All he's got to do is every time you really start to engage the Lord in prayer, get you distracted. Have the phone ring. Or you sit down and say, you know, I've got, I've got 12 minutes to read the Word of God here. And the minute you sit down, oh, man, I've got that presentation tomorrow. I've got to get that blouse washed. I've got to whatever, 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 whatever. And, uh, but you force yourself to do it. And when you're done, you, you run off and you do it. And you say, what did I read? Hmm. Or it's time to pray. <sighs> I'm sure it's never happened to you. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're in the midst of a battle, a real battle with a real enemy. And God has said, I've got victory for you, powerful victory. But it only comes when you spend time with Him in His Word and when you spend time with Him in prayer. These two things. This is Moses on the hill and Joshua down in the valley. Prayer and the sword of the Spirit. And I'm wondering... If there's anyone here today who would like to say to the Lord, I want a victorious life. And I want to spend meaningful time in your word. And I want to spend meaningful time praying to you about what I've read. And if you would like to say that to the Lord, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, we all face valleys. We all face the wilderness. But you have saved us and raised us up to live a victorious life. Help us by your grace, Lord, to spend time in your word, to spend time praying that we might indeed defeat Amalek. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated as Paco will sing to us.